Saturday at 9.30. Tonight, Rage and Triple J bring you the beginning of the big day in. The biggest concert of the year, raising money for the world's refugees. The exciting simulcast starts with Stompham Ground, later tonight at 11 o'clock. Coming up, The Late Show. We wish to advise that the following edition of The Late Show is rated M and contains adult humour. of our theme and welcome to episode 23 of the Champagne Comedy Podcast where we talk about the best Australian comedy show from the 90s ever made, The Late Show and other degeneration comedy tidbits. My name is Matt and joining this podcast today is Alison, Daniel, Kim and Prue. And also joining us uh, as a guest reviewer is someone who is sort of a legend in the background, mainly on the Champagne Comedy Forum. This has gone back years and years ago. But uh, some people will know his name, but other people will just think, oh, just someone. But trust me, he is well-worshipped in this group right now. And it is Ben. Yay! Hi, Ben. Hello, team. Thank you for having me. You're very kind. Just take it. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's good to be here. Thank you for the invite. Well, how did you discover the Degeneration or the Late Show? Well, it was thanks to my mother. Um, I grew up with the best bits VHS tapes. So I think we had the first two. I don't think we had the third, but a friend had the third. Um, I was only six when it started airing, so I don't have any memories of actually watching it on TV. But uh, yeah, certainly my uh, my early teens, uh, particularly, was when um, was when I was pretty into what I had of the lecture, which was pretty limited, I guess. Those tapes were, what, an hour long? Um, so uh, it's going to get annoying. <laughs> it's okay. Like, ben uh, has it's, a... It sounds like, like you've got a little fan in the room with you. It's Charlie the Wonder Dog. <laughs> 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 That's the other special guest. <laughs> so it was a little... One of my, uh, one of my friends who uh, I'd known for a number of years, we had never discussed the late show previously. And then one day it came up in conversation... Um, that he had a number of tapes of the original broadcasts. And I said, oh, yeah, I'd, I'd be interested in seeing more of, of this show that I had grown up with. I went and collected these tapes, and there was probably 30-odd of them. And I thought, well, someone should probably digitise them, and that someone was me. And then, thanks to Kim's website, which was probably in pretty formative stages at this point, I'd started piecing together what was missing. Um, and I think it was only about four episodes that were missing in, in totality. They weren't in order or, or broadcast because we just, I didn't have that information initially. Yeah, this is back before any social media existed. So this is just as the forum, as is back in the early noughties, uh, possibly. Some people were still on dial up back in the day, really. Oh, I, I absolutely was on dial up then. Then, thanks to the, this community that had started to spring up there were offers of additional tapes um and so suddenly we had quite a lot of material to choose from um multiple copies of the same episodes some even on um beta recordings which were fantastic quality uh and and rivaled 
DVD quality, to be honest with you, and uh, as well as the four missing episodes. And at that time, I then knew the air dates um, so we could put them all in chronological order and and uh, the rest is history. Yep, and they're all off-site uh, archive recordings. <laughs> a, I don't know how to say that without getting into any legal trouble. For historical use only. Yes. Well, I think For review and criticism. Yes. Well, there's an important story there because my understanding is that the ABC themselves don't have uh, some of the some of the episodes. So it's, it's a similar oh situation to Doctor Who where they had not kept <laughs> the, um, the entire run of the show. Oh, um, they still what? have some of the three and a quarter inch tapes, but uh, not not in totality. So so now we have everything. Which is great. I, yeah, I, I can understand why uh, the ABC probably wouldn't hold on to a show like that. I mean, as we've been going on forever, you know, it was a product of its time. So you know, I can understand. Apart from you know whatever was deemed best for home video purposes, they didn't have a need to hold on to the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And they could never air it. Um, even if they wanted to, they could never air it in totality now. Just the the rights and licensing issues are such a minefield that you would never get clearance. Um, and even if you could get everyone together, the, the cost to do so would just be cost prohibitive, um, especially yeah. for the um, public broadcaster. So this is really as good as it gets. Excellent. <laughs> And we sold two red bubble merchandise. Hooray. So we're Yay. getting closer. Yay. Someone bought a champagne comedy podcast mug and a hashtag bus trip the barrel t-shirt. So yeah. thank you. That was, oh. that was this, was that was this girl. <laughs> I, was I, I bet Prue bought that. Oh. I can't wait for that to wing my way. I'm well, thank you. You, can, you contributed a dollar to a, the, the price, <laughs> which <laughs> we still need to sell about another 15 coffee mugs, but I do have some more sizzle down the track. Uh, I've arranged another prize thing but i'm wanting to hear back from the distributor but this is a totally different prize altogether so there's some sizzle for you hopefully you find out next episode mm-hmm. and uh fingers crossed yes and uh if you want to go to the red bubble merchandise store the link will be in the podcast uh description of this episode and also um in regards to the national uh, inquirer uh competition thing that was shown in uh, episode 22 and kim mentioned something about uh entering and possibly winning a prize. What was it go down to uh, episode recording of The Late Show? Yeah, you, you could win an episode. Uh, you could actually get flown over to watch the show live, but unfortunately I didn't win. If you go to the Champagne Comedy Podcast Facebook page, uh, the group, sorry, that's in relation to this podcast, you will see someone actually entered multiple times and went to their news agency and I think the news agent felt sorry for them and gave them lots and lots of copies and they entered the competition and won caps. So, <laughs> so Yeah, forget didn't... about those tickets. They, yeah. they don't exist. <laughs> also, one more thing. We do have uh, some feedback. I won't read out the entire email other than thank you so much, David Stewart, for letting us know uh, how you felt about the show, which is all positive. Thank you. Uh, and um, that w- apparently our Burden King rant was funnier than the actual Japanese wall reading uh, chat as well. So thank you. We appreciate that. And he did have a late show question in regards to episode 21 where it was the silly hat cult siege uh, with Cliff Thompson. He wanted to know 
if the voice was um, who was doing the actual sketch was David Armstrong. This is David Koresh, the Branch Davidian cult leader who commissioned the mass suicide of nearly 100 of his most loyal followers. Until recently, people thought scenes such as those at Guyana Town and Waco could never surface here in our own country. That was until the arrival of this man, Cliff Thompson, and his radical cult who rose to prominence in a siege which lasted 58 days before ending tragically early last week. He wants to know if that was the guy who is known as the audio assassin from the Melbourne comedy group Danger Lowbrow. And his name wasn't on any of the credits whatsoever. And one person who did know was our own Tony. So Tony actually explains who he is. Well, yeah, it's it's definitely David Armstrong, a.k.a. the Audio Assassin, a.k.a. the Astonishing Armo from Danger Lowbrow. Um, it, and Danger Lowbrow was like a triple R comedy show in the late 80s. They were more sort of, they came out of, from what I remember, RMIT's radio journalism school rather than comedy because... The other members, um, Leaping Larry L is still around and still does comedy and, and stuff and does a lot of talk about football and wrestling. Brett Duck is is better known to Victorian viewers and, and maybe national viewers, I'm not sure, as Brett McLeod on Channel 9 News. Um, and Dennis Twilight was the big wrestling fan of the group and I believe is a lawyer. And I also think and I could be wrong here, if you watch later in this season, you can see him in the crowd in one of the shot um, episodes. So I think they they were definitely aware of each other, but as far as working together, I don't think they really did a great deal. I think they they, they were coming up behind them while the DGM was sort of moving into TV. And, and Danger Lowbrow eventually went to Triple M as well. And I think, from what I remember, they ended up, being part of the breakfast show there for a while, but it wasn't a great fit. They were very, their comedy was much more sort of riffing and chatting about silly stuff rather than sketches. And it didn't really work so well on Triple M when, you know, you only had three minutes or two minutes between ads and they would take 10 minutes going on about wrestling and be hilarious with it, but they needed that sort of build up. So yeah. Anyway, to answer the question, yes, that was David Armstrong. So there you go, David Stewart. And he also wants to, he wants us to go through the frontline episodes down the track. So yeah, we're, we're still working on the whole late show podcast. And once it's all done, we're still working on some stuff. So thank you very much. Thanks. Yeah. We'll get that Don Lane show podcast done just as soon as we've got through (laughs) frontline funky squad. Yeah, we'll we'll do we'll do some panel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Every every episode of Have You Been Paying Attention? Oh yes, <laughs> that's important. <laughs> also, uh, a quick valet to Reg Gorman, who had just passed away only a few days ago at the time of this recording. Uh, he was known as the barman from the Sullivans. But also this guy out of the the olden days. Who's this, Eldon? The winner. You know, the Reg Gorman lookalike contest. You remember? You set it up in the last episode. So I did. Must have uh, slipped your mind, Governor. Mm, Honestly, I'd forget my own testicles if they weren't screwed on. Mm. Actually, (laughs) you have, sir. I found them outside. At least, I think they're yours. They match the photograph in the post office. Yes, that's them all right. (laughs) What a great way to be known. It's time for... I've got the paper! I've got the paper! 
<laughs> Daniel G in his program guide. Thanks, Matt. Uh, so uh, this is all from the Critical Guide to the Weekend's TV and the Saturday Age, uh, the program guide, plus uh, Ross Warnicke's comments. Uh, so I'll start on Channel 7. And uh, at 8.30, they had The Darling Buds of May, a double episode at the start of the third season. Uh, says Warnicke, back for a new series, this British heartwarmer set in the 50s oozes gentle folksy humour and old-fashioned niceness with David Jason, brackets, Granville in open all hours, close brackets. Doesn't it also Sorry. have Catherine Zeta-Jones? Yeah. yeah. Yes, it does. Yeah. Yes. Mm, I must watch that now that I've finished Rosemary in Time. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> I've got to move on. <laughs> oh, so you still got to get on your. What will I, do? <laughs> I just can't bring myself to it. <laughs> the entire maybe, box set. Come on. Maybe one day. <laughs> Don't worry. I'm still going through, through my Hey Hey collection. <laughs> And uh, speaking of Hey Hey, um, on Channel 9 uh, at 6.30, we had Hey Hey uh, featuring guests Taylor Dane and Things of Stone and Wood, possibly going through their countless Melbourne references. <laughs> yes, go on now. Actually, I can say they performed Perfect Raindrop, which was actually before oh. uh, Happy Birthday, Helen. And I think I, I had that on that CD single. How embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> Now, also, usually there's no uh, comment next to the listing, but uh, Warnicky breaks form here. He says, after more than 20 years, it's not surprising that this crazy show gets into a rut from time to time. But the one it has fallen into recently seems deeper than most. Oh. Yeah. What's uh, the rut, though? What, what is the rut specifically? I, I don't know. He doesn't elaborate. Hang on. Was that him talking about hey, hey? Yeah, that's him talking about hey, hey, yeah. Yeah, well, he absolutely finally starts to resonate what we were all thinking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then after hey, hey, we've got uh, cricket, uh, England versus Australia, delayed coverage of the morning session of the third day of the second test at Lords. Uh, again, he says, for those who can't wait, uh, there's live uh, description on 3LO from 8pm. Uh, but if you wanted to stick to the telly, you would have gotten Richie Benode. Uh, Ian Chappell, uh, Tony Gregg, Bill Laurie, Bob Willis and Jeff Lawson. And uh, if the uh, session had been rained out, you would have caught Kale U.S. US Marshall. Uh, over on Channel 10, we have the U.S. telemovie Christine Cromwell. Uh, Jacqueline Smith stars as a member of a firm of detectives, two of whose clients are among suspects in the murder of a con man. Uh, now, over on SBS... Uh, you might remember that uh, last episode we had uh, the Francois Truffaut movie, The 400 Blows. Of course. Uh, now, yeah. <laughs> well, if you'd been paying attention. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it turns out that uh, this episode, it's the second of a four-week season of Truffaut films. So this is the 1960 French melodrama Shoot the Pianist. Uh, oh. Says Warnicke, this one is a sometimes funny often sad account of a pianist past his prime, played by Charles Aznavour, who gets involved with gangsters with tragic results. Truffaut's direction and Raoul Coutard's photography merge in a moody melange of backstreet Paris. Uh, black and white. Fascinating uh, uh, programming with from SBS World Movies. 
Like, <laughs> they, yeah. were almost, they were almost like a cinematech. Well, yeah, and there's two more weeks of true phone movies as well. So like the jingle says, SBS really are knocking at the door. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and over to the ABC. So um, before the late show, we had Birds of a Feather. Uh, it was uh, season one, episode seven, the Christmas special titled Sailing. Uh, Will Tracy and Sharon take that luxury Christmas cruise they booked before their husbands went to prison? God, did uh, they actually do exterior locations in that show? All I can remember is them sitting in the one lounge room and that was it. <laughs> well, that's what that clip was at the very beginning that I played of the show. Saturday at 9.30. Tonight, Rage and Triple J bring you the beginning of the big day in. This was uh, thanks to my video, was it, Matt? Correct, yes. That was <laughs> yes. the Sydney broadcast. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, I, I don't know why I'm reading it out. That, that voiceover artist is doing a better job than I am. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'll, I'll carry on. Uh, uh, the listening for The Late Show has Warnicky saying uh, that... Uh, the Late Show is still settling into its second season, but the DJ's live sketch comedy show is hard to beat. And, wow. uh, yeah. Then at 11 o'clock, uh, highlights from last year's Stompham Ground Aboriginal Festival. Uh, you might recall that that was up against Season 1, Episode 8, uh, back in September 92. Uh, then the ATVI News at 12.30 and Rage at 1 o'clock. And that's what was up against uh, the late show. Thank you very much, Daniel. Looking forward to next episode's program guide and another viewing of Hey Hey just to make sure. I'm <laughs> 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 waiting for things to stone and wood to play. Happy birthday, Helen, eventually. And, and, and more Truffaut. What movie will it be? <laughs> yeah, we, we, we should take bets on which Truffaut they're going to show next time. <laughs> All right, it's time to dissect and destroy the Late Show, Season 2, <laughs> Episode 3, broadcast on Saturday, June 19th, 1993. And we have an opening of a commercial, which is Tony Martin doing a voiceover for Gilligan's Island Resort. I yes. always was annoyed by this one, that it was on the best bits. <laughs> was taking up precious room. I felt like it was taking up <laughs> precious room. It was, it was fine, but it wasn't a best bit. And I'm grumpy about it to this day. <laughs> it, it did sort of seem like it was maybe a sketch that might have originally been for the radio, but just, you know, they just put graphics, you know, of idyllic island locations over the top of it. And, you know, you know that's, that's one minute down, you know, 48 to go. Yeah, I think that's what annoys me, the stock footage of beaches. It's just so irritatingly bland. And it doesn't have any of them in it. <laughs> do, you, do you think you would have enjoyed it more if they were playing all the characters yes. in Gilligan's Island? Yeah, that would that would have been funnier. That would have been funnier. Oh, Santo. Yeah, definitely Santo. Yeah, <laughs> that guy with a hat that Mick and Tony were interviewing in the street. <laughs> So after the opening titles, we got the opening remarks and Mick is sipping away at a can of Pepsi. So Tony wants to get some. Mick refuses because you're not allowed to share needles. I love that little... They, they both turn to the audience with their arms outstretched going, you know, we've done it again. But that was all about the tampering of the Pepsi cans in the US. Here's a little snippet of the story. I can tell you at about 1.30 this afternoon, it was reported to us that uh, a woman had discovered a, a small two and a half inch, looked like a sewing needle, in a Pepsi can that she had purchased from a grocery store on the south side. Uh, as she was drinking it, she felt it touch uh, her top lip. 
So uh, alertly she poured the soft drink into a, a cup and discovered there was about a two and a half inch needle. Was she injured? No, and the needle just touched her top lip and then she uh, again poured it into the cup. Sorry about the audio quality of that. But that's, hang on, it, it was a needle. Yes, it totally destroys the joke because all of the jokes that they do in this episode about basically shooting up gear <laughs> and this is just a sewing needle well well i did some research on this and apparently the the needle came later so there was a surveillance camera in colorado that captured a woman shopper apparently inserting a syringe into a can of diet pepsi the company <laughs> the company copied the tape and included it into a video news release package that it was sent to television stations around the country but, see, there's something quite wrong with that because why would you buy a can that had been obviously opened? Like, I'm not going to say you deserve to get a syringe, but... <laughs> you deserve to get a flat Coke. That's what you deserve. <laughs> yeah, it just seemed like a, a fishy story. And, and if you look it up, uh, Snopes, Snopes has disproved the whole thing. And a lot of people were trying to cash in and uh, you, you got dozens of reports saying that people had the syringe in there and... And they just wanted to to get a quick buck to get some compensation, really. But I'm not sure if uh, if it all started with maybe there was a small grain of truth in it, but it all made for a good joke. I think yeah. my favourite part of it is Tony going, "Give some, give some." <laughs> Kim, just to go back to what you said about Snopes. Uh, so Snopes said that basically she did this; she faked the needle in there for to get some compensation money. Is that right? Well, I said a number of people, so I'm not sure if it was this particular lady with the needle, um, but they, they did mention that there were about 52 reports in 23 states of all these people just saying, I've got a syringe, and they and they could never wow. prove that it was happening, and Pepsi went on this whole um, campaign to try and say, look, we, we can these things really fast. There's just like a tenth of a second that, that, that these, you, there's no way you could put a needle in the can. So it's quite an inter- interesting story. And the media obviously focused on the whole syringe thing, not the uh, the fact that it possibly was a hoax. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's mm. like I said, it's, it made for some good jokes. <laughs> oh, it did, especially the Pepsi pun of "You got the right one, baby." Joke <laughs> that Tony, Tony and Mick just kept lining it up. We won't, we won't repeat those doctor jokes, but yeah, it was really yeah. Funny. They 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 seem to Mick and Tony seem to go on all these different tangents with all of these different jokes it seems sort of very sort of it's almost like a proto martin lloyd radio show just about yeah because they they, 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 they they make jokes about you know like it'd be worse if there was pepsi in the syringe rather than a vaccine which is kind of pressing it today i think <laughs> yeah i like the yeah. idea of getting the flu vax in your bum that was yeah. <laughs> wildly inaccurate diet pepsi because he's watching his weight yeah uh... <laughs> Uh, the the one uh, little thing I like is the little reenactment in the corner of the screen uh, during the the, uh, yeah. the bit with with props. There's also a lot of props in this uh, monologue as well. You'll notice. Yeah, t- I totally thought that too. Like, and and I also wondered if Mick was a little bit grand. Like, there was something about him throwing his arms out and having all these props, and I thought. He seems a little bit loose or something, like he's a little bit pissed. I don't know if that was just me who thought that. <laughs> yeah, there was various stories, though, such as uh, the abandoned kid who grew up in isolation and now he's a Supreme Court judge. So, yeah, I don't... The joke being that he was raised by dingoes and didn't know about the concept of women and so now he's a Supreme Court judge 
a yeah. reference yeah. to the various Supreme Court judges who'd who'd sort of made very anti-women judgments. I suppose. Uh, will that be the one that was like from last week in regard? No, no, yeah. was that no, one? no means yes. Yeah, yeah, that yeah that's the one. Yeah, yep. I thought the one from last episode was a South Australian judge. There were I mean, there I, were I, a lot I, of I, them in the early nineties. There were a lot of these sexist judges just say, "Yeah, it's <laughs> fine to rape women." You know that that was kind of a thing at the time. I mean, not, not not that I want to lay, you know, have Adelaide lay claim as as the home of that kind of thing. <laughs> no, we're too busy being the murder capital. <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> <laughs> there was also triplets born forty five days apart, and please try to get the baby out. But uh, Mike Willisy convinced it with an exclusive interview, so that was a nice little. And now it's over to the news desk with Tommy G. <laughs> this is where the teaser came in. This me. Anyway, I just grabbed a random Dick Smith commercial from the eighties <laughs> <laughs> because it was all about Dick Smith being the first person to uh, fly or float, I guess, across Australia from west to east in a balloon. Rob. Uh, I mean, Dick Smith uh, joins <laughs> join, joins Tommy uh, on satellite and he just keeps going on and on. I love this impression from Rob. And looking at him really closely, you can see that his eyes are actually fully closed the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just like that attention to detail. Like, Dick Smith has got squinty eyes, so I'll just shut my eyes. <laughs> but the best part of this whole bit was is in the best bits of the DVD. So, yeah, a lot of the stuff just goes on a random tangent. Yeah. Lots Have of you gaps. looked at Whipper up close? <laughs> yeah. That was always my favourite. <laughs> I think it's the helium as well because he's obviously just had some helium when he when he first appears, and then the helium, the effects of the helium wear off, and then then towards the end he just really sucks on the helium again. <laughs> suddenly you get the chipmunk voice, and <laughs> it's great. Yeah, I love that bit at the end when it's sort of gone, it's finished, and Tommy G's just like shaking his head at him, and he sucks <laughs> on the helium, and then he's like, he's just saying some random shit, like, "Why don't you pop over and see me sometime?" And um, you know, this is how I get my energy. <laughs> it's very funny. Now, also, um, probably uh, to Matt's benefit, you might have noticed. No headlines, just straight into Dick Smith. No, no crappy jokes. It's just it seems to this news there seems to be very much trimmed of fat. I think. Man, it, it was getting hard to explain to, this, to, yeah, the yeah, quick yeah, fire yeah, jokes. Yeah, yeah. yeah ex- explain visual gags uh, on an audio medium. Yeah. So yeah, you 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 can rest this week. Well, then again, the next story that happens after Dick Smith was all about the gorilla that leaving <laughs> that was leaving Melbourne, the IVF gorilla. And that was heading to England, and transporters forgot to put air holes in the crate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, a, it's a funny gag, but actually, Missouri was, um, I don't know if I'm saying that right, but I think that's her name, yeah. um, she was a massive hero. Like, I remember in primary school, she was a superstar of, of the Melbourne Zoo. Could be a boy, actually, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> They. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, you're right, Prue, because I I remember I went to the Melbourne Zoo for the first time in 1993, and somewhere I've got a souvenir booklet, and she was on the front. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I had to write a report on it in year five. (laughs) 
I remember can back, I, way back then. Can I give you an update on Missouri, the gorilla? Yes. Yeah, mm, that's not please. a good one, though. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. I'm sure yeah. it isn't. But, however, due to how – I'll put it this way. Uh, Missouri passed away at age 32 in, 20, 20, 20, in 2017, so that's pretty damn good. Yeah, that's a good long innings for, you know, baby gorilla in captivity. Yeah. yeah and especially also, yeah, the, uh, his his claims of fame, and it is a he. Um, <laughs> is, oh, whoops. <laughs> it's all right, whatever, you know. Uh, uh, yeah, he, he's, uh, he's uh, famous for being the first primate being, uh, who was born through artificial insemination. Uh, in 1984. Yeah. Royal news, Prince Charles hurts his back in polo and it's not the first time. And so uh, Tommy just plays clips of him falling off the horse up until the bullfighter one, which <laughs> British police are getting new buttons. US police have tested him in the field and out on the road. Yep, straight up. Rodney King footage. But also the payoff yes. of... Of Jane Kennedy dressed as a female police woman. Hang on, that's weird. But anyway, <laughs> dressed as a cop doing the, the wet towel flick. Hilarious. Yeah, it was brilliant. <laughs> and, and also uh, they're doing it on Michael Hirsch. Yes. Yeah, sort of, uh, mm. uh, yeah, obviously doesn't make enough money through the D-generation, so he has to turn <laughs> to a life of crime. <laughs> <laughs> And back to chat about Pepsi cans. And so Tommy G ends up showing what's inside him, uh, you know, with uh, Pepsi having a syringe. So he gets out a Coke can because they've decided to step it up a notch and they claim you've got a syringe, a spoon and a possibly a tourniquet. So I really enjoy seeing the, the vintage Pepsi can. Like, why don't they just bring that back? Just as a limited edition. Like, <laughs> Coke, Coke is so much better at doing this. I remember uh, tracking down a... a a um, Coke, uh, new Coke can a few years ago was a, um, a tie-in with, the, I think, the second season of Stranger Things. And it's yeah. you know, the old logo, and, and I'd always wanted to try a new Coke. Um, it was like sort of Pepsi, just much more sugary formulation. Apparently, apparently, new Coke tastes sort of similar to Diet Coke, apparently. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, it's a little bit different. For us Aussies as well, because um, the US formulation of Coke has uh, fructose as opposed to cane sugar, so there's a different taste anyway. But to to my tongue, it tasted much more like Pepsi, um, much more sugary, um, sort of fake sugary. Yeah, it was yeah. it was interesting. Well, you got the right one, baby. A bit of a hint of syringe in there. <laughs> There's also a herbal tea, but that's also been contaminated with animal feces. <laughs> what a great prop. I just love this. <laughs> I love that it's a turd on a string <laughs> and, and the front row of the audience just pisses themselves. They just lose their shit. They lose their turd on a string. <laughs> I, I, I just love the the uh, in, innocuous description in the, the recall warning, animal excreta. <laughs> it sounds yeah. so. It sounds so technical. Yeah. <laughs> and which animal? 
<laughs> it looked like human. That's what it looked like. <laughs> to showbiz news, and Jurassic Park has opened with record attendance, and it's a story about a theme park with people trapped inside with an extinct species, and they show a grab of <laughs> of perfect matches, Greg Evans. Like pictures and cream. <laughs> Jurassic Park didn't hit uh, cinema screens in Australia until the 2nd of September. So this is some three months uh, delay between the US release, which was pretty common wow. back then because obviously they had to ship 35 mil prints um, halfway across the world. But three months, I mean, there are, you know, that's, there is less time now between a cinema release uh, and, and home video now or, or streaming. Mm. Um, three months would have been quite the quite the wait, I think. But uh, yeah, that was obviously huge, um, and was the highest grossing film of all time uh, up until Titanic, which was four years later. Now I'm just wondering why are they picking on Greg Evans of all people? He, he probably was without a job at the time. Yeah, because yeah. Perfect Match had been cancelled like a year or so before maybe. I, I can't remember when Perfect Match got cancelled. But then I think Greg Evans, didn't he go on to do something else which then got axed or I, I don't know. No one but remembers I, this. It was Not it was me. this era where I remember, you know how I said I, I knew a little bit about cricket in this t- at this time? Like I was, I had a massive crush on Steve Waugh, right? So when he put out his diary, I went to Southland to get it signed by him in like the centre court era and Greg Evans was his MC. <laughs> so that he had an audience of about 12. <laughs> so poor old, but I remember about that, that Greg Evans was on fire. He was just like throwing puns. He was calling out the audience and, you know, cracking gags. And I thought, wow, this guy's really working overtime but he must have been he must have been low on gigs i think to be doing southland well, okay we... okay i've googled this right <laughs> so so greg evans left perfect match in 1989 right and then he moved over to do blind date which is a very very similar program <laughs> absolutely um and then that ended in 91 and then yeah he pretty much didn't really have anything much to do at that point, from what I can tell, I think I think he's gone on to do radio programs. He and did, yeah, yeah, he yeah three AW he did and Gold FM, uh, various things. But but yeah, I, I think at that exact moment in the early nineties, he really didn't have much of a career in television at all. So that that's what the reference is. Next is uh, sport, and we have motor racing world is mourning the loss of James Hunt and friend and co commentator Murray Walker. Uh, chats to Tommy G down the line. Terrible loss. He was a great driver, a very popular driver, as you would have seen at the service. All the compatriots were there. Prost, PK, Senna, Schumacher, then comes Brundle, Berger, Sorry, sorry, it was a reflex action. It was. And this guy, James Hunt, is that the, is that the driver that um, Chris Hemsworth plays in that movie, Rush? Well, James Hunt we're, was a he was a, a British driver. Yeah, I don't know well. if he was played by played in the film though. Yeah, 2013 film Rush, in which Hunt was played by Chris Hemsworth. Hot, right. hot stuff. Everyone watched that immediately. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and I oh, guess what? It's more cricket talk, Prue. And it's Australia <laughs> versus England, the second test, and the first time they've been using a third umpire with a. And now this joke only works because of the quick visual that they had of uh, mm. the um, the third umpire having a bottle of 
of piss, really. Yeah. <laughs> Hilarious. Yeah, it's, a bo- it's a bottle of wine sitting on the windowsill of their little booth. And <laughs> and then they can then do the joke of they go to the third umpire and the third umpire can't give you give a result because they've been drinking the wine. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's it's just it's a, 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 again sort of similar to the uh, three month wait uh, uh, between uh, US and Australian movies that Ben pointed out. It's just amazing to think that they're only just starting to do the third umpire, you know, video uh, umpiring in '93, and nowadays it's like it's a whole war room, you know, and it's called VAR mm. these days. Mm. Now it's time for a commercial, and it is the. Another product that tells the world, I'm stupid. A series of I'm stupid product commercials. And this one is a VCR being too complicated for an old fart. Then use the I'm stupid product. One remote with two large buttons. Stop and play. What about rewind? (laughs) (laughs) Record. Yeah, all, all people don't want to do that. It, it's a it's a good joke because notoriously, you know, VCRs were very difficult to use. Particularly trying to program a VCR was was did kind of require a university degree. Mm. Um, so that that's the joke there. But but yeah, I think this video wouldn't actually work in the real world without a, at least a rewind button. Remember how insane they were? Like especially if you had like a forehead. VCR so you could do it in long play or double play like it was insanely difficult so in fact that they're taking the piss out of the uh, grannies for not knowing how to use it it's a bit bit harsh (laughs) these uh, these ads are also is directly a a piss take of uh, a VCR which would have been in the market at the time made by Amstrad (laughs) So that's 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 sort of where the the, the I'm stupid uh, name sort of comes from, um, and yeah, it was it was basically yeah, uh, Amstrad and well, Lord Sugar, I suppose, uh, <laughs> who, who would have been running it at the time. Uh, yeah, trying to make um, you know, complicated VCRs uh, become user friendly. Um, obviously, not everybody could afford the uh, the VCR with the barcode reader in the uh, in <laughs> the, the uh, remote codes. <laughs> yeah, and we've got a big live sketch happening here, which is the United Nations meeting. Now, this one is just so goddamn huge. They start off with a new member uh, to the table, which is Paradise Beach. All I'm saying is the United Nations can't go around killing people. Now, all those agreed. Yes. Hey, Warner Brothers Movie World! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, That was a running joke from last time, (laughs) from one of the early episodes. Pressing issues such as Italy wanting a new UN helmets as well. Guess who is playing Italy? (laughs) Is that Santo? Yeah. The (laughs) typical ethnic person. (laughs) Although Jane is Mexico, so it doesn't really make any sense. And Tony's Pakistan, so... (laughs) (laughs) He hasn't Ooh. even he hasn't even browned up, Tony. Which <laughs> thank God, which, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm sort of I'm, rel- I'm relieved by you know I am. <laughs> yeah, we should we, we should probably be thankful that there's no comedy foreign accents to be heard whatsoever throughout this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's 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 quite a few that are, are right for um yeah Mino Reiki territory. There's just one hilarious comedy wig with Rob Sitch wearing the <laughs> weirdest wig of all time that's kind of flapping on the back of his neck. 
This sketch, uh, I don't know. Like, I've got written down here, what is going on? Is it bad jokes or forgotten lines? <laughs> yes, I totally agree with that because it was it's just... very incoherent. Yeah. yeah. And it was like that Tommy G was trying to keep it all in line, but the guys were just going on tangents. Yeah, and that can sometimes work, as we know, that kind of like, oh, live improv, you know, and it's funny. But this one seemed like they were anxious to pull it back to the script but then nobody seemed to really remember the script super well and i find it hard to believe that they couldn't remember the scripts considering that they had <laughs> them on the test. <laughs> in plain sight mm-hmm. it, it felt like one of those sketches where it's basically a bunch of isolated gags that they've stitched together with with mm. some kind of crappy scenario right yeah and you know it's basically just an excuse to do, you know, the Mexican wave and, and you know, the undies joke because they've, yeah. they've, they've got these hats with UN and someone's put D-I-E-S afterwards <laughs> and just to wear stupid wigs. And, yeah, it's it's not a very cohesive or, or even very funny sketch, but I guess it fills in five minutes. Yeah, exactly. This whole sketch itself uh, is spiced into various segments on the best bits. Well, yeah. actually, one of the greatest moments of this sketch is the TV Week expressions that oh, James, yeah. Kennedy yeah. and Jason sort of... <laughs> <laughs> the, the tilt your head, smile and fingers, yeah. I just also like the uh, thinking music and then uh, Rob just says, yeah, I'm going to come back tomorrow, Glenn. <laughs> At the end, they wrapped it up with the resolution draft. We, the United Nations... No, no, no use the big words. Yeah. Use the big Not words. Notwithstanding. Notwithstanding. Ingenuitous. Yeah. Warner Brothers movie world. Yeah. Yeah. Notwithstanding, what was it? Extraneous regulations. Extraneous regulations, we, the United Nations, determined... Solemnly determined. Solemnly determined to get new hats. Yeah, there we go. A shambolic answer, a shambolic sketch. It's kind of an interesting foresight, isn't it, that the UN was basically hopeless. <laughs> yeah. They were, ahead of, they were ahead of their time. Yeah. The next sketch is a commercial, again, with the... Another product that tells the world, I'm stupid. And this time it's about a user-friendly, I'm stupid car. Simple buttons to use. Stop, start, and eject. A pretty standard sort of sketch and... Yeah, sort of going, you know, you know, what if we took the concept of the VCR and put it into other um, other settings? Is the old guy, the guy from the elderly operations centre saying, yes, hello, ABC? Yeah, he is. Or Channel 9. Channel 9. Yeah, like to totally. complain. Channel 9, I'd like to complain. That, was, <laughs> he, had, he had a Scottish accent or something, didn't he? Yeah. Is that Channel oh. 9? I'd like to complain. <laughs> <Anyway>. <laughs> that, sorry, that, that was that was series one of this podcast where we did stupid impressions. <laughs> now we're to the stage and Jace is mad because a man who was the first one to win a women's beauty pageant and him and Mick are mad because they have proof that they entered a couple of years ago. They also claim that they were the original cast members for Paradise Beach but were completely cut out. So they end up playing the scenes that they were in that ended up on the cutting room floor. What do you feel about this whole Paradise Beach send-up again? Do you think it's a joke that's just gone on a bit too far now? 
Yeah, I think um, if you read the Juice magazine article from September 1993, the reporter actually was with them during the time that they filmed this sketch and just describes the situation of how they're at, at the um, the Port Phillip Bay shoreline and they they found they went into the pathetic sand of Point Ormond. But it turns out that um, in the photo of those of the beauty pageant girls, they had to pay them for four hours' work. So they thought, oh, let's just chuck them into a Paradise Beach satire as well. So it looks like it was a kind of a last-minute thing and they were just kind of dragging out the whole Paradise Beach thing. What I did it was find... efficiency <laughs> of labour. Yeah. <laughs> they, had to, they, had to use the, they had to use these these beautiful people for, for this sketch. Um and it turns out that um, Mick lost his ring in the surf and spent a lot of time trying to find it, and much to uh, Jason's annoyance. And he <laughs> kept um, saying, oh, you're not looking for a ring, are you? But if you notice, and when he's talking to the girls, he's got two rings, and then when you look back at the intro, he's only got one ring, so he never found that ring. <laughs> oh. I, actually, I actually went oh. back and had a quick look. So that's quite sad. <laughs> that's a sad story. I was wondering where it was. So that is down in Elwood, that beach then, if it's Point Ormond, um, because it looks effing freezing. It looks like a yeah. terrible, terrible Melbourne beach. <laughs> it's a very overcast day, not really what you'd be wanting if you had to wear a bikini, for example. <laughs> yeah, those four girls. Yeah. They probably had North Face jackets to get into afterwards. <laughs> Imagine on their CV, it's like, so what's your acting skills? Uh, I was in the background throwing beach balls. <laughs> yeah. Now, also, um, like, even though this segment uh, technically isn't muckraking, uh, muckraking, it certainly does seem like it's muckraking in spirit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's there's a, a lot of absurdity. There's a lot of checking other, um, yeah, Australian uh, areas of entertainment. Um, oh, and we also get uh, a bit of a cameo with uh, producer Mark Gibson as the uh, Paradise Beach director. Um, yeah, uh, t- telling uh, Mick and Jace, you know, then we roll in the Rat Cat song, and then replying, you know, when do we get to see Tim- uh, When do we get to meet Tiffany Lane? <laughs> <laughs> but I just think in general these jokes don't work because nobody was watching Paradise Beach. Everybody was watching the late show watch Paradise Beach, but nobody was actually watching the original thing. Just after that, uh, we get a bit of flirting between Mick and Judith. Yes. Yes, Yes, another example of this. Yeah. And you know what? Here's the evidence. Now listen very, very carefully. Your acting in that scene was superb. Jace, I was dragged along in your way. Oh, don't say that. That was don't too say that. Course. You think, where, where'd you learn that? Where'd you uh, learn that? New York, Stella Radler. Stella Radler, New York, yeah. <laughs> when were you in New York? With you and Tone. Oh, that's <laughs> right. Bronx <laughs> <laughs> so up, up in the battleship down. Guys, guys, that was great, but I'm, a, I've, I'm only human. Can yeah. we have another shot of that beauty pageant picture? <laughs> <laughs> because I think we're talking coffee table stomachs there, oh, yeah. aren't we? Judith, you can eat your dinner off those tummies. <laughs> Mick, and you'll come back for seconds. I, I, I want a three-course meal. <laughs> and I want sorbet in between. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Outrageously flirtatious. It's funny. Like, I don't love this episode. It's sort of a little bit, I don't know, it just doesn't hit all the right marks for me. But there's a lot of that flirty stuff. Like, there's that with Jude and Mick, and then later there's... Uh, 
you know, Jane and Rob, the usual stuff. So, but yeah, it's sort of a standout episode for that kind of woo <laughs> Well, Mick and Jude, the, the flirtation, mainly from Jude's side, ramps up over the over the series. So there's plenty more of that to come. <laughs> mm. All bullshit, of course. <laughs> hey. Well, they, as we know, they didn't actually get it on for another nine years. Mm. Oh. Oh. During the filming of Crackerjack, apparently. Oh. oh my God, Alison, that's like a newsflash. I'd never heard that in my <laughs> life. Here first. Do we need to say allegedly at all? Yeah. <laughs> no, we, no, we don't need to say allegedly because Judith has talked about this. She talked oh, about how not listening how, properly. <laughs> ages ago, like she she's talked about this multiple times in interviews about her and her and Mick got it on briefly around the time of Crackerjack, but never before and never again. It sort of seemed like a kind of hook casual hookup type deal, friends with benefits sort of thing. I um, thought I was the one that was going to get sued from this podcast appearance. Judith can try and sue me if she likes. But but she I said really it. Have, I don't have any money, and also she said it. Yeah. <laughs> But that just makes uh, the making of bad eggs all the more fascinating. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe maybe they were still going, I don't know. know. (laughs) Well, that will be on. (laughs) Right in. Judith goes into the audience to ask their thoughts about the bloke who actually won that beauty contest. Now, I actually found some information about this, and the person is Damien Taylor, So this is from a news article in 1993. Damien Taylor, 24, won the Tweed Coolangatta Miss Winter Sun title from a bunch of females and announced he was after the Miss Australia crown. I won't be burning my undies or waving placards, but I'd like to have the chance to be Miss Australia, he said. So there you go. He he won, but that's as far as he got. So And being close to the Tweed Coolangatta borderline... It doesn't really make a difference. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, what a loser. <laughs> <laughs> but that does lead into one of the most famous street interviews that with Mick oh, and Tony. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> it's just them going around talking to people in Melbourne, asking you know what they thought about the guy winning the Miss Australia competition, which leads to our favourite guy of all. I don't know. I think he's uh, one... <laughs> What do you think they're going on competition further? <laughs> they're going on competition further? Are he going on competition further? <laughs> mm. uh, it just makes me laugh even though I've heard it hundreds of times. Oh, it's just yeah, so me too. fucking funny, this street talk. It's like how to find the weirdest collection of weird-looking guys ever. <laughs> Ever. Like each one of them just keeps trumping the other one. You know, you see that guy, then you see the weird guy in the young boots, then you see the weird guy in the stack hat, then you see the weird bowl head cut guy. <laughs> Mr. Lumberjack 1993. Oh, this guy. And all my friends out there, good day from uh, Dominic. How are you? Thanks, Dominic. Or should that be Miss Dominic? Oh, no, not Miss. Mister. <laughs> that was one of our uh, competition winners, wasn't it? Or it was. Yeah, it was classic enough to be quoted. <laughs> yeah. Even, even the, the people that they, they don't manage to, to get an, an interview, that they manage to get gold out of. So, so 
You know, they're, they're the guy saying, too old, no interest. <laughs> yes, or, right. Yeah. Too old, no, no interest. So <laughs> George, that, that the animal steal. <laughs> to this day is in my conversation vernacular, too old, no interest. No one else gets it, of course. <laughs> you know, that's a really community. niche quote, Ben. <laughs> it really is. Yeah, that's even more niche than you've got a kid attached to the back of your head. another one that we used to say all the time. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think apart from the, the the bit that's after that, I think that that's the, the second most fa- favorite bit. The, the, the guy pretending he can't speak English, Tony's saying, <laughs> "Do you realize you've got a kid attached to the back of your head?" And he just cracks. Yeah, he's like, oh, <laughs> "Well, he understands English. He may not be yeah. able to speak it." <laughs> oh, it's such a great street talk. Yeah, I'm really, quite fond it's, of it's the, the bloke. By... Sorry, go on, Ben. Oh, I was just saying, it's, it's all of these quotes as great as they are. They are not trumped by the final which is yeah darling you're shocking but you're not young goodbye <laughs> darling you're shocking but you're not young <laughs> and also like one of those teen queens type girls who um says oh yeah if he had a wash maybe he was really copying it it was really a low blow <laughs> It's excellent that that Mick seems to, to get uh, uh, as much of a serve uh, as his dishing out to all the yes. weird-looking people. Yeah, that is a great... I think that's one of the one things about street talk that make it so wonderful. It's occasionally that it turns the knife, you know, and the, and the uh, vox poppers get to sort of hand it back. <laughs> I love that. And it does seem to happen more in this season than the previous one. Yeah, it's like they've seen the first season. They know what that's all about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They've got their ammunition ready. And then there was a Scottish guy who uh, is forced into the uh, Scotty quote. And, uh, <laughs> and then Mick responds with, uh, was it Mick or Tony? I think it was Tony. Responds Tony. with, you know, Star Trek 7. And, of course, Mr. Scott is in Star Trek 7, which was the final uh, the final Star Trek movie that had the original cast members in it. Um, so that was a nice little uh, payoff in real yeah. life. It's good of him to do the no, no, Captain, I cannot give you any more. <laughs> really nice of him to do that. Well, here you go. I posted the image of... And all my friends out there, good day from uh, Dominic. How are you? So I did put that up on Facebook on the Late Show page, the fan page, and someone actually made the comment saying that he still hangs around in Altona North, Oryx Square. What the hell was he doing in Ackland Street in 1993? <laughs> I guess he was a butcher or something. He looked like he had a butcher's apron. Well, someone here has written, and I won't mention any names, I met him at a party once. I was really smashed and couldn't stop myself from laughing while recalling his performance. He was a good sport about it, but I could tell he was a little irritated and embarrassed about it. Imagine he's had a revisit a lot more than I have. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, you almost missed the jacket, nineteen ninety three. I, I want to know if the the bloke who very earnestly answered when when they said to him, "What what would you look for in a in a Miss Australia's and and he said, oh, sensitivity, intelligence. And then <laughs> one of them comes in with enormous testicles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was so funny. Do and people yell guy. enormous testicles? 
Calls her that guy when he's out on the street. I don't know. <laughs> that guy just absolutely cracked well, up in the best yeah, way. He's had the yeah, most yeah. amazing laugh. <laughs> yeah. Um, we'll move on to oh, it's another commercial. Another product that tells the world I'm stupid. Well, not really the full thing because just as that was about to start with the old man, Rob, the actual host of the I'm Stupid commercials, ends up punching the living daylights out of him. It does have, like, it's such a knockout uh, line that the, the old guy has to say. Like, imagine having to audition to have to say the line, why are these underpants so complicated? <laughs> <laughs> it's just such a, like, imagine typing that, typing out that line, Pure gold next. Yep. <laughs> Champagne comedy. It's time for Charlie, we love you. It is Charlie the Wonder Dog, episode three, Dead Man's Weir. And oh, this is the one where we have our uh, friend of the podcast. <laughs> Uh, what's his name? Justin Anderson. We know him better as foolhardy cousin George, of course. <laughs> yes. The Peacewick kids go picnicking by themselves at Havenswood National Park, but there's one Peacewick kid missing. Isn't it a shame that our brother Peter can't be with us, seeing as he's gone to the city on an exchange student scheme? <laughs> Imagine that. Imagine going... To the city for exchange. Yeah. Instead of like yeah. Germany or something, you just go to the city. Sadly, that is a trek. That is quite a trek for us in these lockdown times. <laughs> <laughs> what I do love about this is that if you look at closely, actually, you don't even have to look closely because it's right obviously there that all the kids are just getting their lines fed to them. And the blank look that Nick uh, just gives the youngest Pissweek kid <laughs> just stares at the camera after he's done his line. Is like is that did I get that right type thing? <laughs> but foolhardy cousin George is around just as long as he doesn't go swimming in a disused dam. Has <laughs> anyone seen foolhardy cousin George? <laughs> but then Charlie can hear the cries for help, and so they go and go out for the beckon to rescue him, pretty much, and they stop because there's dangerous currents, a rip, and a hidden reef. All in a dam as well. What what dam has a reef and dangerous rips? But Charlie has managed to rescue foolhardy cousin George after getting the rope around him, and while he's passed out, Charlie goes and runs for gramps. Now, this is classic Charlie. <laughs> this is great where it's just... Yeah goes completely off the rails especially with the picnic yeah there's there's no off button on the uh on the easing of the picnic it's also the multiple ropes that are attached to charlie to try and pull him away from the food <laughs> or, or in a certain direction and there's like it's just ridiculous the amount of ropes they make no attempt to hide them whatsoever that's really yeah. funny yeah that's what makes it and i like the simulated drowning <laughs> yeah had <laughs> to clarify this that sound effect, that dun-dun-dun, is that like the theme song from like the first few seasons of 7-Up? Yes, it is, yeah. That reminds like, me of 7-Up. I've got that kind of why yeah, association. Why was it a theme song? It's like so ominous. Yes, it is, isn't it? <laughs> it I, I'll continue the history of this. Um, so 7-Up was originally part of, it was originally just a single report for a British TV program. I think it was called World in Action or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and that was the theme of World in Action. And World in Action, of course, was like, a, it was like Four Corners or something. It was a very serious current affairs show. So 
you know, this was in the 60s, so that was their theme song, and that's why. And then there was such a big reaction to 7-Up that they decided to do 14-Up and, and so forth, and it became entirely independent of World in Action, which, of course, got axed at some point as well. Um, so, yeah, that's why. Fascinating. And, yeah, I, I, I assume it's like th- that theme, it's sort of one of the many pieces of library production music where, uh, you know, like it's not made specifically for that program, but sort of any any production house can just license the track and use it for whatever purpose they want. It's, it's yeah. Uh, it's it's, it's one, one of the, the lovely things about finding all of these hidden gems of, um, of, of, of music that just sort of uh, come up as little Easter eggs through different shows. Hot tip, spend hours diving in to KPM Production Library on Spotify. I swear you will find some golden nuggets here in there. And... You will stop thinking about the latest charts or whatever. You will start thinking of KPM music. You'll love it. I promise. Spotify is just going to recommend a whole bunch of weird little jingles instead of pop music. All I can say is when that starts coming up as Wild Waters is your favourite Spotify track for the year, at at the end of the year, you know you've listened to too much barge ass. (laughs) <laughs> anyway, uh, back to Charlie. And so Charlie <laughs> paddles the snowy blizzards, boat paddles and gets Gramps uh, in, just in time with his first aid kit and Gramps resuscitates foolhardy cousin George with a Vix inhaler, which is absolutely fantastic. <laughs> so hooray. The first aid kit is basically a tiny little suitcase, which it just empty apart from the Vix inhaler. So mm. the Vix inhaler is, is presumably a cure-all. Yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Hooray. Yay! Nice work, Charlie! So thank God for Charlie. And so the radio reporter praises Charlie's work and makes note that you shouldn't leave the radio on while you're at home. And I, I, I also love the the, uh, the earnest uh, acting from Charles Bud Tingwell saying, don't thank me, thank Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> Like, like again, he could he could say anything and turn it into to first class acting. And so, Foolhardy does go home. Uh, he's learned his lesson. The, that water is not to be mucked around with. <laughs> so, uh, Gramps and the Pissweet Kids send him off home on the train with a bandaged arm. Yes, the credits were funny. How mm. funny was all those extra like um, organisations that came in to help them in the dam? <laughs> Like, I don't know, the New South Wales Lifesavers or... Yeah. Westback Rescue <laughs> I think I think my, my favourite out of that is the Newcastle Synchronised Swimming Association. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and of course we discovered... When it says uh, no animals were harmed in the making of this production, but we did belt the kids a bit. <laughs> <laughs> And and then we discover it's a Piss Week production, 1982. <laughs> yeah, it all it always says 1982 because it's got that vibe. Of... Yeah, anyone who was around in 1982 would understand. <laughs> now it's a couch time with Jane and our old favourites Jeff and Terry Bailey, formerly of <laughs> Home Cladding, Global Air, Sound City, and Fine. Art Barn. Boys, it's been a while. Thanks for coming. Don't thank us. Don't thank us. Thank our parole officer. It was yeah, so easy. It was <laughs> Terrific. He trusts us. He trusts us. He's undercover too. Now, is is the parole officer? Is that Rob's dad or some kind of relative? I think I think it's one of Rob's relatives anyway. That the parole officer. Huh. 
Don't know. Because he's Jeff, he's been in it before. Do you remember like there was a um, a testimonial in in a previous Jeff and Terry, and it was that same guy. So I think <laughs> it's I think it's Rob's dad. Is it the same guy? I don't know. The other the yeah. one in the testimonial seems um, different. Round um, um, I think they're the same. I mean, they, maybe they're brothers. I don't know. <laughs> Old guys look kind of the same. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I love this Jeff and Terry because it sort of starts out a bit like mm, it's not it's not like it used to be, you know, like it's it's sort of not um, hitting the same marks that it used to, and then it's it's, it's still shambolic as always, though. It just so yep. shifts gear, like it, it's talking about the pet stuff, and that's a little bit wonky because you sort of think, oh, the poor pets. and then they say okay well now we're used car salesmen and oh my god it's hilarious just that Mm. list of car (laughs) car models but before they go legit there's that one little reference that they do make to stir up jane oh jane whoa whoa you're a beautiful woman (laughs) but you just the words that come from your mouth aren't becoming (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's all that flirting that we were discussing before. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's all, all that casting aspersions. Mm. Yeah, casting aspersions. Mm. I love that. <laughs> yeah, to, to me, it sort of seems like this sketch was sort of like they've sort of uh, mashed two sort of separate sketches together in that, you know, in those two halves with the pet stuff and the car stuff. Yeah, because it does uh, with the Jeff and Terry's pet world, which burnt down. And um, then it goes into but like, hmm? like, like it, it. It didn't seem like there was enough to like for either concept to sustain a full sketch. So they, they just sort of went, uh, put them together. That'll be enough for one. Well, does anyone have the list of of cars that they were trying to flog? Yeah. Oh yes, yes, <laughs> I've got the list here. So so amongst the cars that they were trying to sell were the Holden Death Trap, the Ford Crumple, the Toyota Cartwheel. <laughs> The Pontiac Skidmaster, the <laughs> the Lada Molotov, the the Hyundai Mishmash. No, it was Suzuki, the, oh yeah, no, it was the Hyundai Mishmash. <laughs> the, the Suzuki Clydesdale, and then there was a four by four flimsy. Yeah, there was also the Isuzu ill-conceived and the Leyland Epitaph. <laughs> <laughs> But for Jane, the classy lady who needs a European luxury car, there was ah, the yes. lady's foot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Guaranteed or, to or break down before you crash. Don't or, be... or she could have opted for the Alpha Fiasco. Yeah. <laughs> and don't don't forget to to add some Bridgestone Baldy tires to your vehicle. <laughs> yes, but they all have the, the what is it the the airbag the fully approved airbag by Jeff and Terry, <laughs> but it only work if you blow it up when you've had the accident. <laughs> yeah, four one thousandths of a day. <laughs> I love it when they, when Rob and Santo get up to Jane and they start to do that thing and uh, Jane goes, oh, no, what's happening here? <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, oh, sarcasm, sarcasm. <laughs> Technically, that airbag is safer than Jakarta, though. <laughs> this is true. They just sort of yeah, end the uh, sketch on uh, the old uh, freeze frame uh, leaping in the air. Oh, what a feeling stuff. Yeah. Which I, I really miss because they don't do it in the Toyota ads anymore. 
No, you'll have <laughs> some. Of, it's 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 some sort of like generic like uh, people like it's how, how can I put it? It's it's people looping up in the air over the words "I oh, want a feeling," but it's nothing uh, uh, related to the ad anymore. So, like uh, a, a, a comedy writer I know um, called David M. Green was in a, a Toyota ad once, and he never got to do the iconic leap. No, oh, and I've seen that ad too. I know which ad you're referring to. Yeah, I didn't think about that. That's really disappointing. Sorry. <laughs> he also writes a mad as hell. So yeah. 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 Funny guy. Now we have a commercial which is completely voiced by Judith and it's all about the reality of a 0055 number when they existed at the time. Oh, yes, back in these pre-internet days. <laughs> back back, yeah, back, when, back, back when you couldn't hold porn in the palm of your hand. <laughs> <laughs> so, sorry to, to be that illustrative. <laughs> Well, when you turned on the television late at night back in the early 90s, you would get a whole bunch of these 0055 ads for basically sex lines. And um, Jesus sort of points out that some of the double entendres on these lines were, were ones that even John Blackman wouldn't touch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do, you, yep. do, you, do you think it was written by Judith Lucy as well as being voiced by her? Because it sort of seems like she's really... Like uh, apart from from putting the boot into double O double five lines in general, he, she also uh, lays into the type of people who call them. It's definitely her tone of comedy, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's time for toilet break, and it is another potluck instalment, Act Five. Oh, one of my favourites, Krista Crawl. <laughs> Apparently, a large number of potluck fans had written in requesting it. Apparently, yeah, apparently, <laughs> I like to think this is true. <laughs> I tried to find her for the, this podcast, and oh, it's so goddamn hard. The only mm. person I could find that is in relation to her is someone with the same name but with a double L in the surname. But I, yeah. I, I can't tell mm. if that's her or not. Like going by the photos, so. <laughs> I should have messaged. I should have. Krista Kroll is very much a stage name. <laughs> yeah. It's not real to me at all. I think after that sort of performance, yeah, you'd, you'd want a, a, a nom de plume. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. This, this is just, like, amazing because both the key and the timing are both way off. And she does things like singing the chorus during the verse and, like, trying to hold back and try and find her place. It's just... Oh, I can understand why it must have been so memorable to all those potluck fans. <laughs> and she knew she was she was out of tune and out of place. Oh yeah, she, she wasn't yeah. following oh, yeah. the music. Yeah. Might have been this something one, wrong with it. I, I know, I know, people love this one, but yeah. I, this one to me really illustrates the cruelty of this show. Like oh, either yeah. way, yeah. even though we didn't have reality TV back in 1987, this was the beginnings of it because it, they really, obviously, just pulled her out of a waiting audience. She'd probably been waiting four hours or some bullshit. And they chucked her on stage and they just said, go. You know, there was no kind of, this is how we're going to do it. This is how the arrangement is. Do you know the words? She probably freaked out. You know, she wasn't used to the studio at all. It's just, it just doesn't seem at all nice. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm going to... 
I, I think that probably one of her problems there is that she's she's probably rehearsed a few times using a backing track or something, and then suddenly she's got this live band. Mm. And, you know, even though in the in the footage it looks like the band are right behind her, I reckon she couldn't hear them properly, but also they were mm. playing it differently to how she'd rehearsed it, and she yeah. just couldn't adapt to it. So I, I think... I think part of it's kind of not really her fault and, and you can see on her face that, that mm. she knows it's going wrong. And I think the previous week they had that problem as well. Like they, they'd obviously been rehearsing to a different version of the song and the band played something that they weren't expecting. So so it is, it's a really difficult ask to get an amateur to just suddenly play with a band they're not familiar with who are going to play the music differently to how they rehearsed it. So I, I feel a bit of sympathy for Krista. Well, someone's yeah. written here on one of the videos where it's posted a certain location on Facebook uh, saying that um, the band's in the wrong key and they can't tell, can't they tell she's in F sharp, B flat, minor, seventh with a D major. <laughs> I'm not going to fact check that. Yeah. I'll just take their word for it. So the person on Facebook is saying that the band couldn't hear her and adjust their the key that they were playing yeah. in. So I think they're illustrating that God knows what fucking key she's in. Yeah. yeah. Oh, she's in awesome. Uh, if only auto tune was available back then. Yeah. Yeah. Poor Krista, but please, yeah. if if you know Krista out there, please. Let her know to reach out to us. We'd love to chat to find out how it actually was, whose fault it was, i.e. the bands. Um, and, and, just, and and pass along our sympathies as well. Yeah. You're, <laughs> yeah. So, but there is one positive spin out of this, and that is our favourite, Bernard. You're blessed with being very good to look at. I'd be content to be a fashion model. Not every model has to sing, you know. And I, I really honestly feel that your future's in just looking gorgeous. Some dumb blondes look good as dumb redheads. Just be content not to sing. Ten. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, says thank you to Bernard at the yeah. end. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sure thank you. <laughs> if he had actually not been so cruel as to say the dumb blonde misogynist fucking bullshit. Mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. If he just left it to you look pretty, leave it at that. It's almost like she, you know, she, that's the part she takes on as a compliment. She's gone, oh, that's nice. Yeah, <laughs> as like. <laughs> but no, it's not because he's horrible. <laughs> Uh, we all love Bernard, so yeah, yeah it, I've got nothing. <laughs> all right, well, uh, just uh, updating the potluck leaderboard. Uh, Crystal Krull comes in third on 10 points with her uh, version of You Keep Me Hanging On. Um, just uh, five points away from David Ty, who did Pressure Down In episode one on 15 points. He's in second place. And uh, at the top of the leaderboard on 20 points uh, from episode two, The Spangles, who did Venus. Jeez, it sounds like uh, the, the home viewer on Sale of the Century with the way that you got the scores. Everything's, you know, on in fives. I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep track of this, I'm telling you. And now it's time for Graham and the Colonel. And it's all about cricket, 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 because uh, cricket's going on at Lords in the UK. And they're breaking tradition with the third umpire, as mentioned earlier in the show, with the bottle of piss. And... <laughs> Well, which is weird, as they thought that the English needed a third inning. So that's a 
It's all about traditions and stuff, but I will say that there is one tradition of the slow clap. The Lord says traditions that stretch back over 100 years. Like what? What well, kind the of... slow hand clap. Is that right? That started at Lord's? Started at Lord's 100 years ago. That... Imran... Yeah, not us. Please. <laughs> Imran's a wanker. That was that, started at Lord's 100 years ooh, ago. That would have been like W.G. Grace is a wanker. wanker. That's what it would have been. That... As old as cricket itself. <laughs> Bang! <laughs> the, tradition, the traditions go back a long way, perhaps even a uh, longer time than this sketch started. Where's <laughs> <laughs> that balloon that Dick Smith had? <laughs> I love that desperation for a new prop. but there's plenty more in fact there's one more i've got one more grab uh the colonel asks about the ac milan did you see ac milan this week i didn't see they play they played in sydney and in melbourne they beat the socceroos and uh yeah i actually i saw a very interesting interview with one of their players after daniele massaro (laughs) (laughs) daniele massaro you say that so well colonel (laughs) There's what? no Italian blood in <laughs> that rough Australian exterior. Well, I don't know, perhaps if I you... I mean, if you went back into your family tree, is there anything think... in your family well, tree? I'll just try and think. Uh, both my parents were Italian, yeah, <laughs> and I was born in Italy and I'm an Italian citizen, well, but apart not. from that, there's not much... You just keep <laughs> delving in there, you might find But something. I did see the interview with Daniele Massaro, mm. and... Uh, <laughs> I am very happy to be here in Australia. My only hope is that the guy who does this translation doesn't sound too woggy. <laughs> that is a very interesting interview. I'll leave a dirty to that one. <laughs> you know, if we were horses, there'd be a white screen. <laughs> Brilliant uh, Monopoly reference in that. They also talk about Marbo briefly too. Yeah, I don't feel qualified to comment about any of the political stuff really. No. And, I, mean, thank- I mean, thankfully they don't really get too political because they just sort of confuse the name Marbo with the Mambo or the Forbidden Dance. I always like thought that- the Forbidden Dance was the Lambada. It is it the is. Lambada. It is. <laughs> it is. There's a bit of a stretch. And they make a reference to Somalia and the Mogadishu strongman general Adid. Adid. And they talk about how he looks like the grandfather from the Cosby show. So, yeah. Or, or like Chicken George from Roots. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Again, having, having seen political at all in this politics no. uh, section. Yeah. And then it sort of gets even worse, doesn't it, when they get into the African tribe stuff. It's just like, oh, no. Yeah. It just goes a bit weird. But, you know, at, towards the end of Graham and the Colonel, they actually were kind of glad they were wrapping it up. You know, it may surprise you, but that's about the end. <laughs> <laughs> now we've got the closing, and Judith, uh, before they lead into the usual musical closing, uh, Judith reads out a viewer letter, and she goes straight for the book title bit. But I paused the video, and I oh, actually, good. yeah, I, uh, yes. it took me a while to decipher because of the handwriting, but this is what the actual letter of the show 
uh, the actual letter showed. <laughs> Dear Late Show, where did you get that new girl, Judith Lucy? She is shithouse. I'd rather blow my <laughs> brains out than listen to her drone on. On another oh. note, I love those life's little instruction books and I am thrilled they've released another. Do you know where the original idea came from? Keep up the good work and get rid of that loser. <laughs> yeah. Definitely Ooh. a joke there. Well, yeah. well <laughs> Judith, some reality. <laughs> yeah, Judith did get a lot of negative reaction, unfortunately. Um, I like her and lots of people do, but, mm. yeah, she certainly divided opinion. But but when, when she talks about this letter, she mentions that it comes from someone called Audrey Fairthorn, or Fairthorn I think, and um, I believe that Audrey Fairthorne is actually Judith's best friend because over the years I've heard a lot of um, references to Judith's best friend Audrey um, in various interviews and stand-up she's done, and, and I'm pretty sure that that's, that's who she's referring to there. Oh, that's cool. There is an address on that letter, though. Did you notice that, a WA address? Now, of course, if that is real. But, uh, yeah, they would, they would blur that out now. <laughs> they would. Uh, yeah, it's... Yeah. yeah. What's the address? Does, does anyone have a screenshot of it so we can quickly do I, it? I have it? I have it in front of me. 111, maybe Alban Lake Road, Melville, WA. Somebody's putting it into Google Maps. See, this, this address could be where Judith grew up or, you know, it could be, could be anything, couldn't it? Mm. Yeah, something Lake Road starts with an A. I think the next one's a B, but the rest is a bit... Unless it's, Al- unless it's Albert Lake. Mm, it looks like it ends with an N. Mm. Looks like the f- is the first letter an A or is it an N? I'm looking at a screenshot right now. You you are listening to live sleuthing on the <laughs> Comedy Podcast. Sleuthing or stalking? <laughs> well, Belleville is definitely a, a city in WA, <laughs> but it's very small. Ah, uh, it looks like in Lake Road, so North Lake Road. North Lake Road. 111 North Lake Road, Willoughby, WA. Which is mm. uh, also Mel- Me- Me- McDonald's Melville. So it's pretty much close to, the, it's like a borderline of, yeah, it does exist. And now it looks like it's a shop. I'm just glad that we've got closure on this issue. Thank goodness. <laughs> All right. Well, let's steam right through the whole thing because, <laughs> yep, Judith uh, just responds to it and fluffs up the joke. So Life's yep. little book of useless shit. Yep. Good save. Hooray. <laughs> And Jace has a pearler as well because he received a letter from ACW Promotions for Poetry Limited. I looked it up, couldn't find anything, but the letter, got reading through it, it looks like it was a proper thing. Well, pro- pro- proper for the purposes of the joke. Yeah, asking him to try out a car for a day. And so he got all dressed up to the nines to take his date out and not realising it was a front loader. Put, put through, uh, yeah, quite a lot of uh, different scenarios, going through the car wash, going through a Macca's drive through and, of course, um, uh, yeah, parking's not a problem when you can just push the other cars out of the way. And then uh, concluding with, quote, a bit of Stephen's magic, unquote. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the old, oh, I'm just, oh, just going to stretch my arms here. Oh, there's a shoulder. <laughs> now it's the musical finale, and Mick was instructed to get Whitney Houston because Whitney Houston was in the charts because of the bodyguard with a, a very, very popular song, a cover, actually, of Dolly Parton. Whitney Houston is going to be performing under our end credits. And uh, I must say... I thought you meant Michael Whitney. <laughs> the cricketer Michael Whitney. 
the cricketer, the, yeah. the guy who plays cricket for Australia. Are you angry with me, Tony? <laughs> Look, uh, please sit back and enjoy Michael Whitney as he, uh, si what's he singing? I will always love you, Mick. <laughs> I, lo I love that, that line from Tony. Yeah. <laughs> I will always love you, Mick. Uh, he, he won't, you know. <laughs> funny man feud, guys. Funny man feud. Is that not resolved yet? Well, it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because every no. time there's a new Sizzle Town, they promote it on Malloy. But that's because I think Matt Dower is is employed mm. on both programs. So I don't know. It's a shame. I think it's mutual. Yeah. With that you know, it's kind of that dust is settled, but it's kind of that indirect yet yeah, fair enough. We acknowledge it, but that's it. It was over a documentary, wasn't it? For Bay Eggs or Cracker Jack or something. Boy Town. Boy Town. Boy Town. Right. Confidential. And this is uh, Mike's rendition. And I, 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 I think he does a good job there. He's, yeah. he's, not, he's yeah. not a professional singer it, at all. It? It's yeah. like it's yeah. not it's not bad enough to be too you know funny enough. It's sort of okay. It's like yeah, it, it's, like, it's um, not Chris singing in the shower. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, that, that segment sounds pretty ordinary, but the the entire um, segment on the show is actually pretty decent. And, and I think if there was some reverb, um, maybe a bit of an auto tune like they would do now, it wouldn't be half bad. Yeah, yeah he, yeah. he sings it quite competently, in my mm. opinion. Yeah. Yep. Um, in 2020, he actually was on the set of the Matty Johns show on Foxtel, and this is his response to this because. Matty Johns actually plays the clip, and this is what Mike has to say. That was crazy. They, of course, you know, they're very funny boys. They rang me up, flew me to Melbourne. Mm. They had the stage set up, like the gig, and I go, you really want me to try and sing a Whitney, like my register's a lot lower than that. It was hilarious. <laughs> the fact that he was referring to his register means that he was trying hard. <laughs> well, the the bit that they actually played on the Manny Johns show was the bit just before the actual rolling credits of the late show. And so when they cut it and um, Mike actually goes, oh, you should continue playing it because I'm dressed up uh, in the actual costume from the bodyguard. And they had to say, oh, you had to cut it because of the credit. It's on YouTube. So, But the fact is that Mike was so proud of that work. <laughs> he should be. I think he did a good job for someone who isn't a singer. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Well, we've got the rolling credits. I mean, instead of explaining what happens, because of the our VHS tapes that we've got, now this is the Melbourne ending, okay? So for everyone who um, was in Melbourne and like kind of got the, the wrap-up of, you know, the audience tickets. This is Melbourne's ending. Very funny. I'm here in the studio audience of The Late Show with... Gary. Gary. And, Gary, have you had a good time? Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. It's just like being, well, at the scene of a car accident, really. <laughs> and if you'd like to be in the audience next week, phone this number here, 524-2444, and you can be part of the debacle, the magic that is. Oh, phone after 10 a.m. Monday morning, please. Any early, you'll wake up the staff, so don't do it. Thank you. <laughs> That's for your magic. Thank you very much, Ben. Now... Well, I called that number today. Yeah. Added a 03. Unfortunately, it's disconnected. Ah, oh, bum. Oh. <laughs> oh. 
That's all it deserves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, this is what uh, the rest of Australia got who weren't part of Victoria or Melbourne. This is the ending that you would get nationally. <laughs> From ABC Video, it's the... So it'll go straight into a promo. We never got that solicitation. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Is that, is that rare to have that ending on the tapes? Yep. Yeah. Is it the only same. one? Yep. 100%. Yeah, right. Yeah. I, I couldn't tell you where that came from, but obviously someone that lives in Victoria at the time. Mm. Most of the episodes have got that, the ticket plug though yeah oh, well, that's what i mean so okay right so, so it's rare not to have that then is that what you're saying yeah so therefore they'll be taped in victoria or melbourne right. okay. city yeah mm. that makes sense because the bulk of the tapes came from my friend tony who lived in victoria at the time so yeah well there you go yeah so and that mm-hmm. uh sydney ending that we heard then that went straight into a promo was from kim's tape yeah that was my original tape I, I was living in london at the time that ben was collecting all of these episodes so i was unable to source the my copies at the time but just as well because we all got those extra nuggets of melbourne ticket information that that um is it's like an easter egg isn't it yeah listening to all that yeah mm. the bit that you didn't include in that matt which i really like is when it comes back to tony and he's sitting in the audience he goes oh that's a killer that's a killer <laughs> <laughs> was there any easter eggs in the credits daniel no not really it sort of seems that with the change of the from season one to season two there's not really any sort of joke credits or anything like that um, the special guests were Charles Bud Tinkwell and Michael Whitney. I don't know why I keep on calling him Michael. I keep on thinking of, of him as Mike Whitney. Yeah, me too. Yeah, perhaps it's, it's all the wandering around shopping centres giving 50 buck notes to people to drop their daps on, uh, on who theirs wins. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, Ch- yeah, Charles Bud Tinkwell, Michael Whitney. Uh, we also had Denzel Housen. I think he might have been the old fart in the I'm Stupid ads, but I can't confirm that. Uh, and, of course, collectively, the Piss Week Kids. That's it for episode 23 of the Champagne Comedy Podcast. So um, feel free to email us, champagnelateshow at gmail.com. Twitter, at TLS Champagne. And there's also our website, champagnecomedy.com. So hit up the forum that when it decides to work. Or go to <laughs> Facebook and look up The Late Show, the the page itself, which has over 27,000 people, as well search for the Champagne Comedy Podcast group on Facebook. It's on private, but answer the three questions and you're pretty much in. So I just want to say thank you, Alison, Daniel, Kim and Prue. Bye. Yeah. Good to be Bye. here. Right. Yeah, and please. also thank you very much, Ben, for joining. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for coming yes. on. And thank you, Ben, for everything. Yep. Cool. Yeah. All right. Bye, Matt. Thanks for listening. Catch you next episode. Bye. 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 You know, it may surprise you, but that's about the end. (laughs) Thank you for listening to the Champagne Comedy Podcast, created by fans for the fans. For more information on this podcast, please visit champagnecomedy.com. Produced by Matt Fulton Productions, mattfulton.com.au.